Welcome to Casting Nets, a real podcast about uh, real Not life. Not a fake podcast. Not a fake podcast. Nope, nope, nope. This is a real thing, <laughs> real deal. Talking about real life, living faith. I'm here. I am Pastor Dave Rudat. I'm here with the always jovial, ready to laugh, uh, Pastor Will Harley. And I am not here. I'm only here in spirit because <laughs> it's my day off. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about First uh, Timothy chapter 3, and it's an awesome chapter talking about the um, public ministry. And so it is a good passage. We are tasking ourselves with a lot of time when, when people are thinking about the public ministry. They look at the qualifications for a pastor, and they say, well, that's not for me. It looks too tough. And there are some men. And they would be right. And they <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some men who look at this and say, challenge accepted. And so Pastor Harley and myself have tasked ourselves in saying, hey, let us uh, encourage the men out there uh, uh, and also encourage the families out there to encourage the young men in their midst uh, to think about the pastoral ministry. And so uh, before we do so, just a disclaimer. With This is the two, a conversation between two pastors who are just... Uh, talking, letting you in on a conversation between us. And so a lot of the things that we talk about aren't going to be as polished as, say, a the formula of Concord, but we are striving to follow the formula of Concord um, and spirit in, as well as in what we speak, but it may not be as polished as those things. So if you have any difficulty with anything that we say, we encourage you to reach out to us and talk to us. Most of the comments that we get are in person, someone talking to us in person, but you can also contact us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We can You can email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com, or you can talk to us individually in person. Like I mentioned, most of, a, most of our comments we get are in person. So. And we did actually have, like our, our last show was centered around a question one of our faithful listeners had for us and brought to us. So so it does translate. If you if you, you got something that you want us to talk about or something that you have uh, that, that you're like, I don't get what you said or I don't agree with what you said, um, it will go into the hopper for a future show and we will prove you wrong or... You will prove us wrong. Right. How, however, you would like to to phrase that, and we will do the research behind it to 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 refocus our thoughts on it. Right. This real podcast is actually meant to be a conversation between you and us, not just us pontificating from week to week, but also getting some feedback from you as well. So it's meant to be a conversation about real life and living faith. warm us up to this topic, I'm going to talk to you about police officers. Uh, notice all of the negative attention that police officers have been getting in 2021 and 2020. 
Can you guess what is the effect of all of that negative attention? Yes, there are some bad apples in the uh, police forces around our country, but with all of the national attention on our police officers, can you guess a result of what happens? Because retirement, of retirements, uh, recruitment numbers being down. Uh, the the um, it is it is a vocation that's under attack. Uh, while the vocation of a pastor is not in the national news as much as political officers, some uh, those some individuals who are thinking about being a pastor might be turned off to the pastoral vocation after reading the qualifications for the overseers as we look in First Timothy chapter three. So, uh, can I just interrupt? Ahead. Just, just I want you to continue on with what you're saying. But you know how you had said that that the the police officers are under attack, and it's had ramifications on the ministry or uh, on their ministry uh, in in the in their vocational calling as as officers. I would say that the pastoral ministry has been under attack, and 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 a lot of what people attack are what we're going to talk about. Um, you know, when it comes to the qualifications of of a minister. Um, and and because of that, I think it leads to lower numbers of people who present themselves for that. I guess I wouldn't say attack so much as under siege. Like this has been a generational problem of, you know, we don't necessarily have the pastors. There have been a lot of bad apples um, in the pastoral ministry, which has tarnished the reputation and the respect that people once had for the pastoral ministry. And uh, but it still is a worthwhile vocation, and we're trying to encourage you on that. So, uh, if you've got your Bible open, look it up in First Timothy chapter three, and look at those uh, qualifications. And Will went through a lot of the uh, the words of the qualifications. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Will. Kind of walk us through some of these terms. Look at the the Greek and Hebrew background behind those terms, and we'll talk about how we categorize them afterwards. Well, so we have. Um and this is the fun part. We have a list, and 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 it's it's interesting how Paul paints this list to Timothy, and and he starts off. So he says, that, you know, first of all, he gives the qualification if anyone. So this is not for everyone, and and he he's he's right off the bat saying, okay, this is not a qualification that everybody has to be this way. He's saying if you desire to 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 engage in this calling, um, this is what is the necessity. So these are the bare bones basics. Um, and the first word he said, and, and I like how he says in, in, in verse one, he says, if anyone aspires, this is the EHV translation. Um, the, 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 the Greek in that one is, is really kind of an, an interesting word. It means to, to really stress the muscle. <laughs> and so that's what it means to aspire. Um, that's sort of the idea that was painted behind that thought is is if you are attempting to really flex the muscle, now that, that should give you a warning. There should be a red flag that's starting to pop up in your head already um, that there's work involved. And, and I know we live in a society where we don't like work <clears throat> and we don't like to sweat and, and we don't like to work out. Um, and, and the ministry is all about working out. Now, it's not about... If, any past you look at any pastor most pastors and you're like they don't work out and you would be right <laughs> lifting up donuts is not the same as lifting up do- dumbbells i i i don't lift donuts i lift coffee cups um pens pens are very heavy these days uh, books we have you know actually you know what there was a day that pastors used to lift more books now we just carry around a, a computer and we're trying to make those lighter too um but but the idea of of you're straining a muscle right that is more um cerebral 
in, in and you're also strained and, and and I'll be honest with you I think there's a strain of a muscle of the heart when you get into the mis- the ministry that there is a there's a heart strain um and I'm not saying okay heart attack I'm saying that 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 part of the call and part of the responsibility of of the ministry is and we're going to get into this is the call to love people and 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 to be cautious of what we are doing as as it's reflecting on others and that's a heart strain yeah i would uh, agree with that and also just build on that in terms of not only do you have a heart for people but you have a heart for your lord and the gospel message that needs to go out you recognize that uh there the fields are ripe for harvest and there are people out there that need not just people out there but people that need jesus and you want to bring that to them so it is very much a uh, as you said, it's a heart pulling, uh, uh, reaching the individual down to their core, saying this is what I really uh, should be doing. This is a worthwhile endeavor, but it is an endeavor. It's gonna, it's gonna be tough. Right, and and that and that is actually encapsulated in the word <clears throat> or in the the idea that if they aspire, so if they if they they want to strain their muscle towards being an overseer, um, and then he says. Uh, he desires. That's that deep yearning. That's that that really deep down. I can't shake it. The yearning for something that is noble. Um, now I like how he uses that word noble because it's not a. It's not the idea of of this is the perfect job, the only job, the ultimate job. No, but it is a good job. It it is one that is needed. Um, that that uh, God provides for His people. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter uh, four. Um, deals with that as as Paul will write that 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 Jesus provides some to be prophets, apostles, uh, some to be pastors or the shepherd, right, and some to be teachers. These are noble things um, as they have opportunity to share Jesus and His grace into this world. Um, so so moving on, he he says it is necessary. So now we should focus. If we have the if you want to do this, you could almost say then. So if this is your goal, if if you desire that you want to strain this muscle and you want to practice love, um, then it is necessary. So now here's the list of things that you have to have to be found in. And, and I really like how Paul divides the inner calling and the public calling. Like just because you desire to be a pastor doesn't mean that it's going to work out. Just because someone has thinks they have the gifts for being a pastor or someone looks at them and says... You know, this person really would make a great, a great pastor. That doesn't necessarily mean that this is a, a shoe in for being a pastor, or that's their right uh, to be a pastor. It's just a uh, yes. You have this desire within you. Yes, it's it's. Uh, you you look at this as a challenge, and you say, "I'm I'm up for that challenge." But on the same time, there's qualifications. Right, and and I think we we you know unfortunately, and I don't want to use the term weed out, but that happens when you start going to school and you say, okay. I think I might have some of these things. Uh, I have a desire. I want to flex that muscle. But then you get into the school and you're like, yeah, that muscle don't flex that way. <laughs> you know, um, you know, my arm doesn't bend that far. And 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 that's okay. You know, I'm, we're not saying that that this is the only job you can do. Um, but if you're going to do this job, here are the basics, and and here's what's going to be going to be coming. So so here's some of just the 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 general. Um, Christian tendencies that, and, and notice some of these gifts overlap with the fruits of the spirit, conveniently, <laughs> where, where the fruits of the spirit that, that, that God uh, gives to us through his spirit as, as we are found in faith overlap with um, being practiced publicly 
uh, for this individual. Um, and so we have some some really good ones. So we have uh, first is above reproach. Um, this I, the word itself. And I don't want to be sick about it, but the word itself, I mean, you could, to, to be it, put it in a nice way, it says that uh, there are no charges that'll stick to you. But it carries with the idea that that if someone flings poo, it doesn't stick. <laughs> You're like a Teflon. <laughs> it's that idea that, that, that bad things that people will throw at you because they will throw things at you as, as, as a pastor. Um, you're going to be blamed for a lot. You're going to have to have big shoulders, um, but it won't stick because people know who you are. Right, and it's not in terms of a politician uh, having a Teflon, like a Teflon president where people accuse him of things and it doesn't seem to affect uh, the people's opinion of him. It is more uh, people throwing things at you that ever, everybody else looks at and says, that's not my pastor. My pastor wouldn't do that uh, because I know my pastor from how he conducts himself the rest of the time that when somebody throws an accusation at the pastor, it's proven to be false because the rest of his life demonstrate that it's false yeah yeah your pastor doesn't listen doesn't take the time to talk with anybody wait a second no my pastor closes his laptop every time i show up at his office and he gives me as much time as i need um that doesn't sound like our pastor uh unless you caught him while he was driving his car and he couldn't stop to talk with you that's that's not a thing um so that's the kind of idea above reproach um now this one this uh, i don't know if this is gonna i don't know what our listeners will think um Husband of, of, of only one wife. I don't know why anybody would want more than one wife. Um, you know, I, I, I look in scripture and, and although, and, and this is maybe a topic for another discussion at a different time, I'm not going to say that marrying multiple women is a sin. I, I think that's over what, I, I think that goes over what scripture says, but I can definitely say that having more than one wife does not work well and end well for anyone involved. <laughs> I think we can say that from scripture, that every every uh, church father who has had more than one wife has ended up with nothing but issues. Um, so uh, like I said, maybe a conversation for a different time, but definitely we have, um, if you want to be a pastor, you got to get that out of your head that you could have more than one wife. Now, society has fixed that problem for you, um, unless you want to introduce, do we even want to introduce the idea of, of divorce? Yeah. I was going to say that only one wife has really has, um, ended a lot of public ministries, uh, in our synod and in other synods as well. Um, just because the stigma of having a divorced pastor, uh, doing marriage counseling or a divorced pastor, doing that, but it, it also doesn't always disqualify you. Like there are some pastors that are divorced that are still serving. So it all, that is the principle is, uh, to have one wife and it's not always followed, but it's not necessarily a legalistic following of that because of, uh, situations and of, uh, congregations or congregations who they would say that is, uh, he is still above reproach. He is still, uh, a man that we will listen to because of every all, all of his other qualifications. So it's not necessarily it has. Let's, just to sum up, it has ended some pastors' careers in the public ministry, and it has um, maybe delayed some pastors' ministry because they had to get a divorce and then work that out, or or uh, have a time being single for a while to be just to kind of sort things out from the divorce and whatnot. Um, so it, it, but it hasn't been a 
as limiting as you might think it would be. Well, and I and I think I would like to to just sort of phrase this or or bring this back just a, a second here, if if you don't mind. Um, <clears throat> I think when Paul wrote these words, it was really dealing with you're married and you have concubines, which which in God's eyes they're still a wife. That that would that's considered still a wife. So there's the, these practices that were going on, and and I think he's really bringing it down because. I mean, even though divorce was was there, um, it wasn't prevalent like it is today. I don't. I don't know if we can really say that because uh, Jesus talks about the certificate of divorces, and and that implies a a uh, chalant attitude about divorce. Sure. And I agree with you. Biblical and and I'm not saying it wasn't there, but I don't know if it was as prevalent as we think it was. I, I think I think divorce has become more a. Uh, I think divorce has become more our issue today than it than it ever has been in the and, past. But that's and I'm not sure there. we can we can say that for sure with right. any certainty. That's your opinion. Yep. Go right, ahead. and that is just my opinion. Um, anyway, so so then we move on from there. We have temperate. Um, you're not hot or cold. I mean, you're 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 man. You're like a nice pool, <laughs> um, <laughs> a well drawn bath of water. <laughs> Um, it, the idea of, of just being, um, you know, when, when someone talks to you, you're not like, you're, you're just not extremely, uh, easily angered or, or off the handle. You're, you're, you're just a calming force. Uh, and, and that's, and that's a good thing. Self-control. Um, that is a gift of the spirit, by the way, to be self-controlled, um, um, to be able to control your own urges, which are going to be there. And there's going to be times in the ministry um, both you and I know it, where where we are sitting in a meeting and the meeting does not go the way that it should be going, and it's not maybe necessarily sinful in the way that it went, but man, it wasn't as God pleasing as it could have been, and you feel that anger rise, right? You're like, I should say something, and to be self controlled, to either say something in a very appropriate way instead of lashing out irrationally, or to not say something because you know really this isn't a one a hill you might want to die on. Or two need to be said because they weren't wrong. It's just not what you wanted, um, and, and so to have that self control. I always looked at the self control in terms of self motivated. Like there isn't there isn't anybody standing over your shoulder and saying uh, this is what you should be doing today, or this is how you should you should reach out to this individual. A lot of what a pastor does is the pastor shows initiative. Um, he's got to have self-control over himself saying, you know, I really don't want to make this phone call or I really don't want to work on this, but this is what I have to do. So just having the will exerting itself over our emotions or over our sinful nature uh, is like, as you say, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so moving on, uh, just uh, the, the next one that I would say, and, and the rest of them are pretty self-explained, but we're going to go through them. But they're self, this one I found funny, uh, respectable um, is, is the next one in the list. And, and actually that word, uh, in, in a societal use uh, in Greek, the societal use of that word that Paul, Paul chose referenced to the modesty of women's dresses. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, you know, the so the idea of of presenting yourself modestly, right? That that you're you, you not wearing women's clothes, not wearing women's clothes, but presenting yourself as as not flaunting um, within the society. You know, I don't I don't flaunt myself as saying I'm wearing designer everything and look at me, look at me. But you're you're modest in in how you present yourself. Um, so there's there's a little bit of that going on. So uh, then running down the list, you have uh, hospitable. 
people like to work with you. Um, able to teach. Now, I think we need to stop and talk a little bit about that one because I think there are times in the ministry where you have a pastor who is really an outstanding preacher and he really uh, does uh, personal visits and devotions very well with his um, shut-ins and the like or can do counseling very well, but he is a huge flop as what we would quote-unquote make the professional teacher. Um, when he when he teaches a Bible study, you know, his Bible studies kind of lackluster, we'll say. Um, so how do we look at this one? How how would we how would we approach this idea of able to teach? Uh, that is an interesting question because it is a there is a subjectivity to it. So some some of us are better teachers than others. Some of us are um, more temperate than others. Some of us are more self controlled than others. So there is a subjectivity to this qualification of able to teach and as a um as a circuit pastor maybe uh don winsbigger can also weigh in on this whenever he gets back to podcasting and and we miss you don uh actually i've never actually podcasted with you but I've i miss you your, don yeah <laughs> so i've listened to him and i thought you know we kind of need we need some uh south dakota uh western perspective on things uh, you know what he would say if you polish a turd it's still a turd <laughs> <laughs> so is that able to teach dear listener uh that that's the uh the, that's the um that's the crux of the matter so i, I just know as circuit pastor that is one of the things we struggle with is is when a, a when a congregation comes to us and says uh this pastor is not able to teach we have to really wrestle with how objectively are you going to measure uh, able to teach and how much of that is just your subjective opinion uh, you don't like him because he's not as dynamic as the previous pastor that you had or he's not as dynamic as a pastor you think he should be um, but he's still teaching he is still he still has gifts in that de- department and the able to teach is a gift also that can be learned well and and i think that's that i think that your last comment there is really what the the point is is that some of these things some of these things are gifts that flow from the spirit, and some of these things are 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 gifts of your personality. There's some people that just personality doesn't make them very good for the ministry, but there are some of these things that you can teach, and I think this is one of them. That the ability to teach is something you can instruct someone else in, um, and we do that. And 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 on a on a synod level, we have people who are excellent teachers. Like they can come up with their own Bible studies, and they can and they, and then they they write them and they disseminate them throughout the synod. And then you have pastors who take those and they say, oh, thank the good Lord in heaven, I don't have to reinvent the wheel because I don't know if I would have the time ability to be able to do that, right? And then they take that work and then they make it their own. Well, they're still able to teach, right? Just because they didn't write that Bible study all on their own, but they took someone else's work and then added to it and flushed it out, doesn't make it that they're not able to teach. It just some people have better gifts, and and utilizing those gifts for the kingdom is an important thing. Um, drunkard, self-explanatory. Don't be one. Um, I I don't. That's not something you can teach somebody. It's just don't drink and get drunk. I'm not saying don't drink. I mean that I'm not I'm not going that far. But but we all know what that means. Um, don't don't get drunk. Um, and why why would that be a bad thing for a pastor to have uh, if he has a difficulty with alcohol? Well, in our day and age, <clears throat> um, 
first of all, it would it would prohibit your ability to drive, and you have to be able to to get to a call if someone calls you in an emergency. But I think also what it does is it impairs your ability to judge what is what is truly going on. Um, <clears throat> over excess in any any narcotic or anything that in, that impedes your ability to reason um, is is a very dangerous thing because one it creates reliance and 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 will lead you to start making choices so that you can get back to doing that. Number two, it also Im- Im- impairs your judgment and your ability to be temperate, right? Uh, or your ability to be self-controlled, big one. So a lot of what was already stated as prerequisites go out the window when when you are, are drunkard. So, so just dealing with the self-control one. If you are drunk, your inhibitions sort of are lowered. So you're going to do things that you normally would have had a, 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 a screen that said, no, 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 no. But, but the simple fact that you weren't able to control yourself and say, okay, one drink is fine, two drinks... Mm. Yeah, I had a big steak and I had stuff that'll slap it up, but I shouldn't do any more than that. That's self-control, right? That that's self-control. I'm gonna, you know, saying I I'm I'm gonna choose to do this and continue to do this until I can no longer make sense of what's going on. That that is a, a lack of self-control on your part, which disqualifies you from the ministry because you can't you can't control what you're doing to the best of your ability. Um we okay on that one? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Uh, violent, uh, not a violent man, uh, but gentle. Um, not easily angered. Not not one who lashes out and, and tries to hit or hurt or or things of that person. But but is a gentle spirit. Uh, not quarrelsome. Kind of goes with the violence, right? Um, but but maybe not necessarily in the physical aspect, but in the idea of uh, somebody who is quarrelsome means they're always searching for a fight. There there, it's always. A battle, you know. Some we know those people because they. You, you would say it's always a battle with them, right? They're always looking. Whenever you talk with them, they're always looking for the argument. And sometimes, you know, um, as a pastor, you you can't be looking for an argument. Yeah, and that follows with what uh, Paul says in, in chapter two when he talks about I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and arguments. So if you're going to have a public minister in their midst who is modeling lifting up prayers without anger or argument, he's got to be a guy who's not quarrelsome in his character. Now, and 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 please, I think dear listener needs to, to separate the difference between a pastor who likes to discuss and a, a quarrelsome pastor. You know, if your pastor, if you make a statement and, you're pa- and, you, and, and you think your pastor is being quarrelsome because every time you make a statement, your pastor is trying to encourage you to, well, let's discuss that. Or uh, is that really what you meant? That's not being quarrelsome. Your pastor is attempting to engage you in a conversation to help deepen your understanding of why you're doing the things or saying the things you're saying. And and if you are engaging or if the pastor purposely says something with the intent that he's trying to get you to engage with him and talk about it, that's a discussion. That is not being quarrelsome. Quarrelsome is saying, I'm purposely going to bring up something that is a hot topic that's, that I know is going to create anger and animosity in you on purpose not for the purpose of of bettering you in the gospel, but for the purpose of I really love to fight um, and 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 push the buttons. And it is subjective. Uh, who, how you're going to determine someone who is quarrelsome? It is a very much a, a judgment call on on Timothy's part. Uh, who is quarrelsome? Who isn't quarrelsome? Based on culture, based on 
um, personality of the individual, but it's just the uh, just giving us a heads up on saying quarrelsome isn't necessarily a desirable trait to have if you are if you desire to be in the public ministry. Right. Uh, moving on, lover of money. Um, the only comment I have to say here is it does not mean that we don't need money. Um, um, old old timey uh, quote from back in the the rosebud uh, used to be. Um, uh, and this is a prayer that I that I had heard that people had said before. Uh, Lord, keep your keep your pastors humble. We'll keep them poor. Um, and they you'd use verses like this. You can't be a lover of money. Can't love money. Uh, and, and I and and there's a difference between saying, okay, I do everything for the Benjamins, and saying, um, I need Benjamins so that I can live um, in a society that deals with money. <laughs> <laughs> right, the uh, lover of money can in, inhibit a pastor from doing his job as a pastor. He's supposed to speak God's word, and if he's, he's got to make that call, he's got to say, you know what? If I say this, I might lose my job over it, or I might have to move. I might have to to leave because uh, they're going to run me out of town. And so the pastor has to be willing to do that. And so if he is a lover of money, again, a subjective qualification. But if if that is something that is driving him. Uh, that might inhibit him from being a, a pastor, and also if if pastor is, is trustworthy with things. So if he is a if he is a lover of money, then he could uh, take advantage of the church and the collections and things like that. Uh, so yeah. So yeah. Uh, so so don't don't be a lover of money. Remember, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money. Money is not the root of all evil. Um, and so it's not, and then so he he reestates himself again in four. It is necessary that he manages his own household well, uh, so so that you are a if you if you can be a manager of your own household, um, and that's again subjective as, as we've been saying. You know what does it mean to manage your household? It doesn't mean that your kids are all. Unfortunately, it, it it's not saying that all your kids are going to remain Christian throughout their entire life. Um, you, you know, we don't control that. That is that is a matter of the Holy Spirit, and it's a matter of the sinful nature within the child if they fall away. Um, but to say that we manage our household. So if you are coming to church as a pastor, and and actually, and maybe this is a good conversation to have because it's bothered me. Um, when I came from the one of the things that I that bothered me a lot when I was in the LCMS was as we had a pastor, and I'm not going to mention the church, and I'm not going to mention the pastor. And it was a long time ago; he's passed away since, but it doesn't matter. He was a pastor of the congregation. His wife was not even Lutheran. And she didn't come to church with him. And his children were raised in her faith, not his. I had a problem with that because I I, I felt, and, and maybe you can comment and correct me because I've gone under this, this whole entire uh, many, many years, but I felt that that was not a managing of his own household. Yeah, again, it's just a subjective... Thing I I do have red flags about that. Just the idea of how can he model what it's like to be a, a husband, a spiritual head of his family, if he's not actually the spiritual head of his own family. Or or how can you model and say this is what is true and right that the this doctrine that we preach and teach when his own family, I mean his immediate family, don't believe in the doctrine that he preaches and teaches. Yeah, um, I one of the uh, what the thing that really. My personal um, struggle with this is just the idea of everyone expects a pastor to have a wonderful household that's managed well, but then don't give him the time to do it. They expect pastor to be 
at work. They expect him to be on call, but uh, whenever the pastor says, I need time with my family or I need a day off to spend with my family, they balk at that and say, well, well, he's being lazy. What are we paying you for? What are we paying you for? Right. Um, but but I think that comes back down to that that straining of the muscle, right? And and I think sometimes it's sometimes it's not even imposed by our 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 churches. Um, I think some of it is imposed by by the pastor's own desire because you know in, in the summer I, we have teachers in the summer here that that they they take their work home with them and they do some other work at home and they're spending time with their families because they can be in the home office. And I have found, and, and my wife has commented on it too, and I have to apologize to her and do better. Um, but my own wife has commented and says, why can't you do that? And I said, because if someone needs me, I have to be at church. How many people show up? Well, maybe some days no one. And, and But then, you know, oops, I feel guilty. It's 3 o'clock. I shouldn't be leaving until 4.30. You know, I got here at 7.30 in the morning or or something like that. So some of it is self-inflicted. I would build on that as well. As uh, as a pastor, you'd say when you're at home, you're like, I should really be at church. And when you're at church, you're going, I should really be at home. And you're always feeling guilty about something. So it's nice that Paul has this in there so that it reminds us uh, part of our qualification as pastors is to manage our family. So we look at ourselves and say, if I'm working on trying to be more self-controlled, if I'm trying to work on myself being a better teacher, I, I should also be working on how can I be a better family man. So, so have and this is just a side comment, I suppose. Have you noticed that it's, well, <clears throat> you've always lived in a parsonage, right? Uh, what do you mean by that? Like until I was an adult or what? In the ministry, as you've been in the ministry, it's always been uh, churches with parsonages. Yes. So maybe you don't have a, a place to, to, to make apples, to maybe it's an apples to oranges for you. Um, but but I think you feel that desire of always having, to, when you're at home, to be at church more when you're in the parsonage. Because you look out the window and you saw someone drive up to church. And so the first thought is, they might be looking for me. I should probably go over and find out what's going on. Or, or they have questions that, why am I not there? Right. And so you had the desire, I'm going to have to walk out. I, hold, pause, family. I will go across the street and find out what, and then 45 minutes later, because you had a conversation with somebody that really didn't need to have, because they weren't really looking for you, but you, you felt compelled to do that. I have noticed that since since I've, I've become pastor here at St. John's, and, and we don't have a parsonage, um, and I had to go and buy my own home, that that tendency has gone. When I leave, um, if they need me, they have my phone number. They can call me at home or on my cell. Um, and they do, and that's fine. But I don't have that tendency of, I have to be at the door because someone drove up. I have no idea who drives up. I, I don't. You know, if someone comes to, to clean the church or something like that, I have no idea. Um, and I think that's a, that's a good divide. And and I've known some churches that have done it with their parsonages, where they kept the parsonage purposely away from the church, so that when the, the pastor goes home, they have family time, and not had that draw back. Um, yeah, and I think it can be done. You make that determination, and through the Holy Spirit, look working through the Word, you just say, "Yes, I'm home right now. Yes, somebody pulled up. I'm not immediately going to go over there." Um, if they need me, they know where I am. They know where I am, and they know my phone number. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so okay. Um, so uh, moving on just a little bit about that is, is uh, uh, with all dignity, making sure that his children obey him. Um, I mean, we're not making little androids, but we're saying that, that, that uh, kids are well-behaved. 
Um, they're not, you know, painting on the walls and throwing bricks out the windows and, and, you know, and mocking mom and dad every time mom and dad say, Hey, you should, you should stop doing what you're doing. Um, kids will be kids. We know this. Um, that's, you you can't get around that. They have Um, their own sinful nature too. Yep. They do have their own sinful nature. So we're not, we're not saying they have to be perfect little angels. And I think this is where we've, we've really gotten into some trouble, um, in, in generations where, where the, the term pastor's kids, right? Because we have applied this maybe a little bit overzealously, thinking that pastor's kids have to be perfect and they have to, they have to, they, they have to meet this, this caliber. And we've, we've made a stigma that, uh, and I don't think it was purposefully, I'm not blaming a congregation and saying that they purposely did this, but it's, it's in the back of the head. Pastor's kids should be better. And that was one thing I've always told my children. I said, I don't expect anything of you more or any more of you than what I would expect any other Christian to do. That is an excellent point because as you look over this verse, it doesn't say anything about the qualifications of the children. It just says everything about the father-son relationship. That's all that matters. That's all you can hold your pastor to is that father-child relationship because your child, the child of the pastor is going to have a sinful nature. He's going to rebel against his own father. And if, even if he rebels against his own father, it doesn't reflect on the pastor. It just reflect. It just matters that it, it basically says that the pastor needs to pastor his own family. And uh, dear Christian, dear listener, dear member in the pew, I'll let your pastor do that. Yeah, and I think you in your point comes into in verse five where he says, "And if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how he'll take care of God's church?" Because the reality is is the same, right? So uh, me and and calling my children out when they do a sin and and offering forgiveness when 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 they repent, as I do that in my own house, that's what I do in the church. Now, a church member's reaction to me is is, is because of their sinful nature. I can't control that, but I can control how I interact with them, right? Uh, so you, you you painted that picture so beautifully well. Um, moving on, uh, not a recent convert. The the the, the literal um, uh, Greek idea there is not a new planting. So not a new tree, not not a not a sprout that is just coming up um, from a from a tree. Um, uh, the idea that your your roots aren't deep, um, and so it's easily easily manipulated, easily torn up, easily um, contorted. Um, you know, you, you, I, I kind of think of bonsai. I don't know why, but you know, you take a bonsai tree and, and you start it and it just starts growing. And, and as, as soon as it starts growing, you take your, your wire and you start can, cause it's flexible, right? The, the, the beams are flat, the, 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 the tree is flexible at that time. And you start manipulating it in the direction you want it to grow. And eventually it gets to a certain point where you can't do that because now it's a mature tree. And, and, and it doesn't bend. And I think that's what, what Paul is trying to say to Timothy is, is you can't have a new convert because they're bendable and, and they don't know yet and they're not rooted in Christ and they don't have these, these the, the doctrines and the teachings and the comfort and the promises um, as, as a center for them at this moment. They're working on it. It's coming. It's a good thing. Um, but it's not there yet. And, and so you have to be careful because, because if they cannot be fully convinced... They, they can't be in this position. Any comments that you have to add? Or uh, would just like to the add? reiteration of what Paul talks about, about uh, the idea of pride, uh, the same condemnation of the devil. He was conceited. He was prideful of his position and what he had, and that led to problems. And that can be the same thing for a pastor, too. 
to be, let's be honest, being a position of a pastor, even in a society where uh, people don't respect him, at least the people inside the walls or who are members of your flock will, re, you know, will respect you for the most part. Uh, there still is that power that they say, well, pastor, what do you think? And pastor, you know, what's your opinion on this? And you have this ability. Oh, people actually want to listen to me. Uh, people actually value my opinion. They're actually, if I say something, they're going to do it. Uh, there's there the appeal of the power uh, that needs a mature faith to handle that correctly. Otherwise, it will uh, lead to uh, problems. And I'm just going to add this. One of the things I'm very thankful about that's not in this list, humility. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's in there. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. It's, I uh, I was gonna say it's it, humility's there, but it is interesting why it is absent as a list as a qualifications. Because you would say someone who is temperate needs humility. Someone who is self controlled needs humility. Someone who is hospitality as hospitable needs some humility in saying this person's more important than me at this point. Uh, but just the idea of just humble isn't on the list. Right. So, so, you know, the idea of <clears throat> the prayer, you know, Lord, keep them humble. We'll keep them poor. Eh, you know, humility is a gift of the spirit. Don't get me wrong, but, but you know, it's not, it's not something I find. It's something that comes and goes. Um, there are moments in my ministry where I have I have placed the needs of other people over myself, and I've had to say, I'm okay with that. Um, um, a family has lost. I will go and bend over backwards for them to to offer and be there. Um, and then there's other times where no, I'm not. Um, where where someone has called me and and they'll say, well, you need to get out to the hospital. Are they dying? No. Then I then it can wait. I will be there, but it's not going to be today, and it's not going to be right now. Um, that's not a very humble attitude sometimes, um, because you have other things pressing that needed to be done. So it's kind of refreshing that that's not on the list because you could easily start beating yourself up. I'm not being humble and placing other people before me all the time. Or I have to have this conversation where I have to be very forthright and say, uh, if you do this, you are going to hell. And Mm -hmm. you have, or you have to proclaim the law. There's no humility really in the proclaiming of the law. Um, if, even if you do it in a humble way, you might say, this is what God's word says. So, But this, I have to proclaim it to but you. But I have to proclaim it to you. Uh, I may not keep it. I, I need Jesus just as much as you. I'm just a, a beggar telling other beggars where to t- find bread. But I'm still going to proclaim this is uh, God's law. Right. And uh, really is, you can, it's really hard to, to, to listen to a pastor and come away with the fact that, I wonder if he's really humble here. I don't, you know, Pastor, you weren't very humble when you proclaimed the law today. I don't think you're qualified to speak to me. It just isn't isn't going to work, right? Um, so, rounding out the list, then, and um, um, in in very good fashion of Paul, he he uh, um, he's led us and further and further and further and further down this road of of removing us from the church, now going out into society, right? And he says. Um, in addition, so all of those things that we just talked about, and he could have all of those things, but if he has a bad reputation outside of the church, he's disqualified himself. Why do you think why do you think that has anything to do with the qualifications of ministry? Your reputation outside of church. 
because you represent the your savior in the world um but it is a hard thing to gain reputation with those outside the church because outside the church they're not going to respect you for the things that you should be respected for so outside of the church they might say uh this guy uh holds up roles of men and women now that's not very respectable uh, this guy uh, speaks about homosexuality and, and says that's a sin. That's not very respectable. Uh, that He doesn't have a very good reputation by the world. Um, so that would be that would be the crux of the matter, isn't it? Where he says you have to have a good reputation with those outside the church, but you can't. there are some times when you just can't get that good re- reputation because you're going to speak up for the truth. Yeah, and, but I think it goes beyond that, that, that even because there are people that have good reputations who speak up for the truth where... Where and, and I think you were this way. Coming from the Dakotas, you get this. There are people that respect you and they say, I don't maybe agree with what he his opinion, but I respect him because he doesn't force it on me. He is forthright with it. I know where he stands and he's fair. And that's a reputation too, right? Um, and I, I, I think that's where some of that, in, in your commentary as well, where it goes there are going to be times where we are not going to stand with the rest of society and the society is going to say, I don't agree with them. But, but I think what he's saying here is we don't fall into this trap of disgrace where I speak one thing in the pulpit and I live a different way in front of everyone else. No, that, that doesn't work. Pastors can't compartmentalize their Sunday morning and the rest of their life. It's, this is how I live. So what I preach in the pulpit, what I share in Bible study, what I live in my family, I live in the community, and they, they know it. And, and I know it's happened to me. I know it's happened to you, where I'll be sitting in a restaurant, someone will come up to me from the community, not even my member, and they'll say, can I talk with you? Because I have an issue, and I can't find an answer somewhere else, and I know you will give me one. Whether they'll agree with me or not, but they, they, the, you have the reputation of being the straight shooter. I appreciate how you explained that, and you did explain it very well, because I think of in other religions, such as Islam, Islam says you don't have to tell the truth to the infidel. Uh, you don't have to uh, conduct yourself in a certain way amongst the infidels. Uh, when I lived in Montana, the Hutterites were that way as well, where they said, well, we, you know, that's the people of the earth. We don't have to conduct ourselves as Christians among the people of the earth. That would be us, uh, those who are not Hutterites. So... Um, that is a reputation that is uh, that needs to be addressed. So I liked how you said you, who you are as a pastor is the same whether you're inside of the walls or outside of the wall. Whether you're in your in your home or outside the home, you should be uh, a man of God in both places. Absolutely. Um, and so that leads us. You know, we we spent some time going over the qualification qualifications of the overseer. So that would be the pastor, the prosbyteros. Um, now we we kind of he kind of flushes it out and he says, okay, but there's other people in the ministry that are going to help, and then we, he calls them deaconesses. They they call them different. Uh, uh, what do we call them here in in the wells? Um, staff ministers. Staff ministers <clears throat> in the LCMS. They're called Stephen ministers. However you want to, however you want to to put that out. Um, and their qualifications are pretty much the same, by and large. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that in terms of Acts when they were calling Stephen to be to distribute the money to the widows and how their qualifications for them were to be was 
very much similar to a qualification for an apostle or a pastor. And you say, well, these guys are just giving out money. Why do they need to have the same qualifications? Well, it's the public ministry. Right. Um, so go ahead. And, well, uh, and my only question, because I, you know, I read through that and I'm like, okay, well, okay. The, the very first couple of verses, very, very similar, but, but verse 10 is different than what a pastor is. And, and I wonder if it needs, if it should be, uh, it's, it's in the scripture. So I know it is. Um, but in verse 10, he says, let them also be tested first. Um, and just that little, because te- if you desire to be a pastor, it's all lifestyle, right? Continual lifestyle, not one and done. Um, but but in, in verse 10, you have let them be tested first. Um, and, and I know when you go and look it up, it, it, when you go and look it up, it, the idea is continual testing. In other words, don't ever let them get relaxed in, in, oops, I did this, I'm done, I can now be here forever, and I can go back to living my old lifestyle. Um, but, but that idea of why is that separated out from, from we have the pastor who has to live this, conti- like if at any moment the pastor does not, no, or does no longer follow the lifestyle of what is listed, he's no longer qualified to be pastor. And here we have the deaconesses, or the deaconess, or deacon, who, who okay, you're tested once and then you can help. It, it almost seems that way. Yeah, I had, uh, had not even thought about that. I just uh, assumed that if you're going to be an overseer, you're going to be tested as well because you're you have to figure out how does the overseer have does the candidate for being an overseer have these qualifications? Well, you have to examine them, you have to test them, um, and you have to. It can't be a recent convert, so it has to be someone who has had some training, some. Uh, um, but it seems though the overseer, it's not a, it's not a test. It's do you live it? Period and stop. If you don't live it, you're disqualified. Whereas the deacon is, we're going to test you. See, okay, let me. I would respond to that by saying that he doesn't say that a candidate for overseer must be, but for the overseer in verse two, it is necessary then for the overseer to be. So this is not necessarily uh, you get you, once you get these qualifications, you don't need to work on them for the rest of your time. This is still a, a continuing thing that the Timothy should be uh, looking at the overseers that he has put in place and saying, "Are these guys still having these qualifications?" Okay, so, so you would you would you would testing. continue you would say the overseer and the deacon, all of them fall under the let them be tested. Yeah. That's okay. What I, that's all what right. I would look at. I don't. I. And and it could be, be. I don't know. On that. Yeah, and and like I said, it just struck me as why do you put it there instead of, you know, in both spots or saying, and Greek and how it phrases sometimes, you know, you put it at the end and it and it, it gains the highlight for everything that was said before it. Um, and, and, but then he, he introduces something that may be um, odd to our own ears in the wells a little bit, but he introduces the idea of deaconesses um, and, and the debate as to whether or not these were the wife, uh, the wives of the deacons or if these are just women who also maybe were, were um, widows or whatever. Um, but, but having a um, women's ministry led by women. Um, and what a, what a beautiful concept um, that women know how to talk to women better than men probably know how to talk to women. Um, and so having a women's ministry led by women, um, just a beautiful thing and, and how they have very similar, right? Um, they're to be found, uh, uh, worthy of respect, um, not slanderers, 
um, temperate, faithful in everything. Uh, the the one thing that I would I would say is this: um, not slanderers, almost to the idea of not gossips, right? That, that they don't gather in the gossip mill. This is not the only time that Paul's talked to two women and and addressed the sin of gossip. That this might be something that they had a inclination towards. Uh, and I, I don't know, is it over simplification or over generalization to say this is a problem with uh, ladies who are older that they like to gossip and slander? What do you think? Well, now, you toss it to me because now I'm going to get in trouble. It's, I didn't have that opinion. You know, that was Pastor Harley who said it. I didn't. I will say that it is the natural tendency of everybody to talk about everybody else because we have a natural tendency to compare ourselves with others and then say, I am better because I don't, or I'm lacking because I didn't can't believe they, I can't believe they did. I wouldn't have done that. Or did you hear it's the news of the day? Look how important I am because I shared it with you. That's a general tendency of everybody. Now I will then add this qualification. Men, Typically, don't talk. Not because, not because we couldn't talk, but because most of the time we don't care. So we make the mistake on the on the opposite side. We say nothing when we probably could have said something. Um, whereas ladies, ladies just have a lot more words than men do, and they like to share them. Um, so I'm trying very hard not to get in trouble here. <laughs> not to be, yes. I I think we can see we can find some patterns between men and women. Men do talk about things that they, I I see this especially in the realm of sports. Guys talk about so and so stands on whatever, and it's very gossipy. So I like what you were saying before about how gossip is a sin for everybody. So you can't just say this is only a, a an elderly women's problem. This is a sinful nature problem, but it does seem to the pattern seems to be there where they like to talk about. Uh, what's going on or that like to talk about others and what they're doing more so than men. But that doesn't mean that the, the they sin more than men do. They've got their own uh, problems. Well, well. And, 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 I, and you're right. They don't sin more than men. It's just a different idea. So like you could have two guys or, or three guys and a game will be going on and they will sit and the conversation will be, uh, hey, and that's the entire conversation as they watch the game. Whereas you could have the same game going on, and you could have you could have ladies who actually like watching the sport, and they will have side conversations going on throughout the entirety of it, because I and and this is scientifically scientifically now, and there's many documentations about it. Don't ask me which they all are because I don't remember all of them. But scientifically, tests have been made that that even as growing up, girls get language better than men. They, they they accumulate more words and they talk more as children than than men do, uh, than boys do. There's a difference. And it's okay. It's not a bad thing. But but I think what we have highlighting here is watch it because that can lead to some bad stuff. And so and so watch it. And disqualifications for the ministry. One of the questions I was as I was going over this is which of these qualifications can be learned? And where can they be learned? Can they be learned in the home right now, in school, in seminary, in the life of the church? Just to give us some opportunity to talk about these qualifications to someone to say, 
I don't have any of these qualifications, Pastor Rudat or Pastor Harley. I should not be a pastor. And we'd say, you know what? These are qualifications that can be learned. Um, and, and here's where you learn them. You know, um, I would I would say all of them can be learned. Um, and, and some of them learned only through the Holy Spirit, but learned. Mm-hmm. Um, others learned in the home, by example. And others learned in institutions. So um, go back to learned by the Holy Spirit, self-control, big one. Learned only by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, a person who is self-controlled in, in, their, in their way. Um, a person who is temperate. That's a, that's, a Holy, uh, that's a gift by the Holy Spirit. I don't think you can learn temperance. Um, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just don't. You either are or you're not, Right. Or, or you, you were one who was super angry all the time, and the Lord changed your heart by some um, ultimate sign of the Lord, right? And and changed, changed your your opinion and changed your heart. So I, I think those are 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 definitely ones where where the Holy Spirit comes in. Now, to be above reproach, to be respectable um, within the community by your reputation, I think those are things that are learned by the family. Those are very much part of 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 how. Um, dad interacts with boys and, and mom interacts with children and, and how, you know, if dad is a respectable person and he conducts himself, you know, the, the sons want to be like dad and the daughters want to be like mom, um, that kind of stuff. You know what I'm, I'm saying? I would add hospitable would be that as well. If you're teaching your yes. kids, like if, if, uh, somebody comes over to your house and you treat that child as if they're one of the family and say, you know, here in our family, we welcome people to come in. You your friends come over well guess what your friends are going to help clear out the table um or, or right. something like that where or or on the converse maybe the, a different way that you might approach that hospitable teaching hospitable hospitality would be saying your friend comes over you make sure that your friend has something to drink or you make sure your friend has a uh, thing that they if they you're need. eating they're eating too yeah right right so that's something that can be taught in the home absolutely and and i think that can be taught um the the idea of of learning how to teach you learn that in school you can learn that in school. Um, some people are natural teachers. Most people aren't. So you learn how to teach in school. Um, <clears throat> I, I I don't know. Um, to not be a lover of money, I, that's a hard one. Um, because you can learn how to be a good manager. But I just, I, I, I kind of think that to not, that to maybe this is a gift of the spirit. Maybe we'll just say it that, that that to not be a lover of money is a gift of the spirit, um, not to rely on the dollar, so to speak, <clears throat> and and to have such a an overarching passion to pursue it above all else. That's a gift of the spirit. I think my wife and I have always have been as our kids are getting older and we're trying to teach them how to manage their money. Uh, that has been something that we've been consciously trying to teach them, saying you know you might have a, posi- a, a position sometime where you are in our shoes where you are called servant of the word and, uh, and you've got to make sure the dollar can stretch. And here's, here's how it works. It can also pop. I know, uh, in, you know, pastors, kids living in the home and they say, well, that's not a life I ever want to live. You know, I don't want to live a life where we're eating chicken, you know, five days out of the week. Not, I want to live a life where I can you know, go out to eat more often. So the lover of money, the lover of money is, uh, is a detriment or it, it it shapes them as a, a particular person because in the family where you have a called worker who is trying to raise their children, 
they stress that so much of money isn't everything that what it ma- makes our family special isn't necessarily where we go or what we buy or, or what we um, play with, uh, you know, toys and whatnot and vehicles and so on. Um, but what's important to us is our, our family and what our family does together. And and I would say, but but that comes back down to, I wonder if that is, is something that you can teach or if that's just a gift of the Holy Spirit, that, that the Holy Spirit redirects your heart to what is most valuable um, as opposed to, I, I mean, you I'm not... You can model it for them. Yeah, model it for... You can model it, but I don't know if it's a... Because, you know, we work, we pay for things, but, you know, I, I can't say that, you know... If we go out to eat and you spend a little bit of money, who cares? It doesn't bother me. Um, but my son is like, I got to get money. I got to get money. Got to get money. Got to get money. And it's like to the point of, what is your deal? I mean, literally, what is what is your deal? Settle down. Yeah, the world's still going to turn. Don't worry. It's, it's going to be okay. But it's like, even though we're not modeling, I have to have money in the house, he has this tendency, I have to have money. Um, and, and I wonder if it's because, you know, the heart. The heart looks at it and says, this is what makes the world go around, and I got I to gotta have it so the world will go around for me. Right. There's no magic bullet. Our children have sinful natures. Yeah. So even if we model it, even if we teach it, they still have a sinful nature. Yeah. And, and then I would just say the final one, um, taught in the home, uh, being a husband or a, a wife of one husband or a husband of one wife, that's taught in the home. I, I am, I, I'm a believer that that's taught in the home. And the reason why I asked the question is you think uh, just sending your son off to be a pastor or your son or daughter off to be a, a, a teacher or a staff minister don't think that all of their training to be a public servant in God's church happens at school, that it happens at home, and it happens in their church, that they're, they're seeing their pastor, their called workers around them display these same qualifications, and they say, this is something that I want to do, and uh, this is what it means to be a, a pastor or a teacher uh, in the world, is how I watched so-and-so being a pastor and a teacher. Well, wouldn't you wouldn't you say that that bears out historically, too? And, and um, I mean, there's studies that, that deal with family trees and, and whatnot, but they're, the real interesting part about all that is is that they have they've tracked with family tree work and, and historical work of, of tracking families. Um, oh, I can't remember the study, but the study had tracked three families. One was a lawyer, one was a pastor, and one was a, a thief. And they tracked they, they tracked back these these families, and they noticed in the back of the families that the one that was a, a lawyer came from family that were filled with other people who were engineers and people who were, um, um, you know, went to school to, to practice either law or practice, you know, medicine that they came from those professional careers. The pastor came from a whole line of, of people who, who were in social work, uh, people who worked with, with other people, teachers, things of that nature. And, and, and so they, they looked at that and they said, okay, you know, coming up to this idea that, that the, these professions that their parents engaged in, grandparents engaged in, really helped form what these children thought of and, and wanted to engage in in the rest of their life. And then, of course, the one who was a thief, they went back and they said, you know, they had a lot of uh, discord between parents um, rebelling against government or authorities or police, you know, all the way back. And you know, even going back as far as, you know, um, in the past, they had uh, horse robbers in the family, that that was the lifestyle that, that was ingrained in them. So maybe that's a little bit of what you're playing off of, that, that the, the role model that we share with our children leads them 
to do. And and I, and, and just saying it, I remember it, my my dad saying it to me when I was young, and he, and it just stuck with me. Um, my dad said, when we were when when we were growing up, my brother and I, he says, I don't care what you do. He said, I don't I don't care in society uh, what you do for a job, but he says, you will be a contributing member to society, and you will serve other people. Those were the those are the that limits what you do, by the way. <laughs> um, that leaves teacher, social worker, pastor, military. <laughs> well, I suppose I suppose medicine. <laughs> I was never smart enough for medicine. <laughs> but but the idea of helping somebody else, um, you know, and, and what was my dad? My dad was military, right? Um, um, that that's what they did. My mom wanted to be a missionary. Um, they kind of did that type of thing. My brother, what did he end up doing? Military. Um, what did I end up doing? Pastor. Um, yeah, my background, my father became a pastor because his pastor, when he was in seventh and eighth grader, uh, encouraged him into the ministry. So he had it in his head. He was going to be a, a farmer. Uh, he lived in the city of Milwaukee, but spent his summers uh, with family up in Door County. And uh, that's what he wanted to do was to be a farmer and the pastor came to him and said, you know, Arnold, what do you think about being a pastor? And, uh, and I've he had- heard I've heard the videos or the, 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 the soundtracks of your grandpa, though. Um, I I could definitely say he totally had influences of pastoral love. Yeah, but that's my that's on my mother's side, not oh. on my father's side. So yeah, well, see, he I was, didn't know that. See, I was trying to paint this beautiful picture. And... <laughs> no, no, my grandfather, the grand, my grandpa Rudat was a foundry worker. Uh, never could read, uh, first of all, and uh, so, um, yeah. So it was just a very much a blue collar family that he came out of, and he was he wanted to get out of the city, that's for sure. Um, but uh, my my father wanted to get out of the city, but. Uh, being a pastor was something his pastor um, encouraged him to do. So the influence of, of our future called workers comes from the home. It comes from church. Uh, it comes from within, from the Holy Spirit working through the word. And can we uh, quantify that and say, uh, or we can't really necessarily classify and, and put everything in neat little boxes and say this, is, this influences that. And uh, if you have this, then you can do that. Uh, it just is an overall encouragement for us to think about the qualifications of being a pastor. Now, why is it important that these pastors have these qualifications and that uh, if you're ready to move on? Well, I, I just want to make one comment that, that, that I think needs to be said is, um, and, and our and our members should think of this, that there is a, a, a real importance of the, of the people who are in these positions training up pastors. So our our college professors, as well as our seminary profs, um, because this is a, just like as we've said here, it's hard to figure this out and to say, do you or don't you? Um, and sometimes we make mistakes. But I mean, that's we've called these people at at, at MLC who are our professors, uh, our, our teacher, our, our teachers there, as well as our professors at at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, to do just that. That's a tough job, and and they need our support, and they they need our prayers as they work through that job. Because just as we're discussing this here, we're like, how do you judge this? How do you make this delineation? They're doing it for us, um, and we're putting that pressure on them because we're like, I'm not making that decision, <laughs> right? Um, so so maybe keep them in your prayers. That's all I'm gonna I'm gonna say about that. Lord be with our 
our pastors, our professors, our our professors at MLC and at at, at, at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary that they uh, help teach and instruct the next generation of called workers. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, uh, why is it so important that pastors have these qualifications? That leads to verses uh, fourteen to sixteen of chapter three, where he uh, talks about uh, the building up of the church of God, this pillar and foundation of the truth. I love that phrase. Um, and we say, well, "Oh, that's what that's what the church is about. The church is about the truth." And then Paul says, "Oh, by the way, this is the truth." Uh, yeah, <laughs> the undeniable, the undeniable mystery of godliness. And and then you're like, "Okay, what is this mystery of godliness?" And he paints the picture of, "Oh, he, that's Jesus, was revealed in flesh, was justified in spirit, uh, was seen by messengers." preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. Um, so let's sum up the Lord's physical earthly ministry in in one very succinct. You want to know what godliness is? Here it Here's is. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 you want to know why we work so hard to be pastors or why pastors hold themselves up to a higher standard? Because we, we're, we're sharing Jesus with other people. Um, and so it's it's neat as we talked as we opened up our conversation talking about uh, the one who uh, aspires to become an overseer the tugs in the heart of wanting to serve people but also to serve their Lord and here we have at the back end of it of why are we doing all this work uh, why do we have the public ministry in the first place so that you would see Jesus and that you would uh, receive the gift that the Holy that Jesus has for you through the working of the Holy Spirit through jesus the word well and and you know what's really interesting and 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 for those people who who do who like to to see how how god combines all of this together you know we have these words that are given to timothy as 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 he's uplifting the work of the of 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 a pastor and saying here's the calling that you're you're going to go to the book of ephesians and and he's going to talk about this chapter four and he's going to say here's the calling that all people have and by the way i'm going to provide for you um um certain people called to build the body up who is the body of christ that's their goal um and so that that that's their to to equip you for the ministry to do this uh, your own ministry so really you're you're starting to look at this and 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 you're not so far away of saying you know, when you combine the different the different parts of Scripture and you dev- combine the different letters, even of Paul, I think we could we could all stand back and say, guess what? Paul's not just saying, "Hey, if you want to be a pastor, here's here's some really good things for you, and this is necessity." But almost to the point of, "Hey, you want to be a Christian because you're part of the priesthood of all believers and you have a ministry. You need to do this. These things are yours." Um, you know, how can you be a good teacher in the church if you can't teach your kids? How can you be how can you be a person that's respectable if fill in the blank? So these are qualifications not only just for the public ministry, which they are, so you you definitely have to have them in spades. But it probably would go a long way <laughs> for you, dear listener, so you could build up the pillar and the truth and built on that foundation of Jesus, right? Um that's cool. That's pretty neat. All right. So, you know, I have uh, a lot of things going on uh, with with uh, wonderful news that we've been sharing with Paul and how to be a pastor. And you're going to come on Sunday and you're going to say, does my pastor have these qualifications? And then you're going to get to a point in the service 
and he's going to share Jesus with you. And you're going to step back and say, yeah, I think he's all right. Well, at least I hope you step back and say, I think he's all right. Until later, and next time we can speak, may you be centered on Jesus and share him with your family. Mm-hmm.